The Bible says there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And there are going to be a multitude of people who go out into a Christless eternity thinking everything's okay. Some might be sitting here right now, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Imagine that. Thinking this is true, this is good, this is right, but the end thereof takes you out into hell. But the big question is, as born-again Christians, I say we, what are we doing about it? And I think we as God's people need a a renewal, uh, we need a revival of seeking the lost, of really caring about lost people and reaching out to lost people. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, at this time and turn to the Gospel of Mark and the 16th chapter. Mark chapter 16, we've been talking about tools for the trade, and these are things that Christian people need to effectively serve the Lord. And I want to talk about, for the next few weeks, what I think is one of the most obvious ones. And no, it's not Missions Month yet, but it's not that far away. And, and this uh, next few weeks here is, is going to get us, I hope, primed for Missions Month. Because we're going to be talking about reaching out to people and something that not just missionaries are, are, should, are doing and should be doing, but we should be doing as well, and that is being mindful of the lost. In, in Mark chapter 16, we find one of several different ways that the Great Commission is given in the Bible. And it's a very common and obvious verse and not hard to figure out what Christ is trying to tell us here. He's about to send back up to heaven, and, and of course now he's given us his parting instructions. And as they say, the last words of somebody are so important. So we really want to give due heed to what he's telling us here in Mark 16. Beginning in verse number 14, it says, Afterward... He appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, if we were to read on down to the bottom there, we'd find out after this he ascended back up to heaven. But notice what he said again in verse 15 before he left. He said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're going to be talking about that in the weeks to come as we uh, kind of start a mini-series. I've entitled it, Within a Series, Staying Mindful of the Lost. Something Christian people need to do. Uh, Being soul conscious. And so we'll talk about that, but let's pray first, shall we? Heavenly Father, we pray now that Thou wouldst just please help us to be totally, continually conscious of the lost, the fact that we are living amongst unsaved people on their way out into a Christless eternity. And Father, we just pray now that we would see them, and it would affect us, and we would not allow ourselves to grow cold about that fact. And Father, that You would help us, help us at this time to be renewed with that old truth. And may it be rekindled in our hearts. We pray and ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. When I talk about staying mindful of the lost, who am I talking about? That, that word lost, 
Is that, a, is that a group of people? Is that a term we even find in the Bible? And the answer is yes. Jesus himself said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Now what was he talking about? Or who was he talking about? Well, he was talking about those who have never been born again the Bible way or never been saved. I don't want to offend anyone when I talk about staying mindful of the lost, but if you've never been saved, you're lost. And the lost are lost, but they don't know they're lost. That's the problem. I didn't know I was lost before I got saved. You didn't know you were lost before you got saved. But lost is the opposite of saved. Now, what's saved mean? Well, saved is also a Bible expression. It's foreign to most people, but it's not to the Scriptures. We find in Revelation 21-24 of heaven, it says, and the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. It's talking about needing to be saved in order to go to heaven. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, it speaks of those who will, uh, of the Lord who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. It's God's will that all be saved. Unfortunately, not all are being saved. In fact, most aren't being saved according to Christ. But it mentions that they would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And then in Ephesians 2 and verse 8, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith in that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. We find this expression throughout the Scriptures, saved. Have you been saved? It was foreign to me before I got saved. But once you've been saved, you understand, wow, I was lost. I was, I was going to hell. I, I didn't know it. I was not conscientious of that fact. In fact, for 20 years of my life, nobody told me I was lost. Nobody showed me I was lost. And what does it mean to be lost? It means to have never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. We live in a nation where people have a head knowledge of Christ, but He's not in their heart. And the difference between heaven and hell with most people is about 16 inches. When Christ gets from your head into your heart, that's when you get saved. And that can only be when you realize you're lost and you're willing to turn from sin in what the Bible calls repentance to Christ in what the Bible calls faith and call upon Him and ask Him to save you and give Him your heart, give Him your life, and make Him your Lord and Savior. Plain and simple. But lost people have never done that and they don't realize they're lost. And they are in what I call a spiritual comatose state. And we know what a coma is. But that's where they're at spiritually. They're in this comatose state and they don't even realize it. But this isn't a message for the lost. This is a message for believers. This is a message for the saved. For us to stay mindful of the lost. To be conscious of the comatose. It's for us, God's people. And it's for each and every person sitting here in every section and in every pew. If you're here and you yourself have been born again. I want you to take this personally, okay? I want you to think about and me to think about staying mindful of the lost. Now, when I say mindful, what am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about a cognizant or, or uh, attentive to the lost, maybe sensitive to the lost, a watchful uh, of lost people and, and perceiving that they're lost and noticing that they're lost and remembering that they're lost and having an, an alertness and being alive to the fact and keen to the fact that we're surrounded with lost people. 
Now, we, we have probably, for the most part, saved people in here at this time. But you walk outside of these four walls, and you're surrounded by lost people. You go to the mall, you're surrounded by lost people. You go to a football game, you're surrounded by lost people. You go up on campus, some of you, and you're surrounded by lost people, aren't you? You go to work where you work, and they're all over the place. They're up and down the street in your neighborhood. You go to a family reunion, they're there. And the fact is, most people are lost. I'll never forget, I had not been saved that long, and I went to a Twins game down at the Metrodome and in the cities. And, uh, you know, I used to go there, the, uh, the old Met Stadium years ago, and, and thought nothing of it. But after you're saved, you look around at, you know, 30,000 people, and you, you begin wondering how many here are truly saved. And, and, and you, you think something along the lines, you know, I wonder if, if they could actually just glow so for a minute you could see where the, the lights are, how few and far between they actually would be. You know, we don't realize it, but there are so few people that have been truly born again. And we don't do much about it. And, and really, as God's people, that's sad. If, if we were, were truly in love with the Lord and in love with souls the way we ought to be, we would know most people haven't been saved. I have a preacher friend that... Uh, made a false profession of faith before he truly got saved. And it was kind of ironic. When he had that false profession, afterwards he was going around kind of saying, well, this guy's saved, and my old buddy's saved, my old preacher saved, and this guy's saved. And, and then after he got saved, nobody was saved. He realized, no, no, they don't have what I have now. And, and it clicked, and it made the difference. And, and the bottom line is, we ought to be concerned about that. You know, the day after I got saved, I was witnessing... In fact, the night I got saved, as the preacher was leading me to the Lord, I was trying to remember and, and almost memorize those verses he was using and where to go for those because I was already thinking of people that I loved who needed that. But you know something about human nature is, in time, that can wear off. And it shouldn't, but it does. And we read in Revelation 2.4 where Christ says to a local church, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left Thy first love. It can happen. We can just kind of leave it. We can't lose our salvation, but we can leave our love for souls, our passion for souls. And, and the Lord said, I have something against you. You've lost that. You've left that. It, it, it kind of goes away unless you purposely, you know, keep conscious of it. The second law of thermodynamics simply states that anything left to itself tends to greater randomness and confusion. Better put, it goes downhill. If you don't do something about it, it goes downhill. You parents here today, do you ever make rules or policy for your family and say, this is, this is what we're going to do, kids? And it lasts for a week or two, but suddenly it's like, whoosh, it just, the policy blew away, you know? It's like, wait a minute, what happened to the rule? What happened to the policy? And so you reinforce it again. By the way, kids, shame on you for being that way. But that's what happens in homes. It's kind of like, oh, I haven't stated that again now for a few weeks. So, okay, it's kind of gone away now. But, you know, sadly, it's not just kids. We as adults get that way as well. You know, I can, I can uh, preach on prayer and I can say following a, a midweek service, all right, folks, time to pray and let's really encourage you to pray. And I was, I was talking about this in my Sunday school class this last week. And, and for a while, you know what? You'll see the numbers up there. But as the weeks go on, I mean, great Christians start, you know, just dwindling out and, and, and talking out in the hallways, and, and they know it's prayer time, but what's happened? Well, pastor hasn't stated it for a while. 
And you know, it, it's, it's really the nature of the beast. It's human nature, and we're all that way. And we allow it to just kind of slide in time, and, and, and it really slips unless we're mindful of it. And that's what I mean when I'm talking about being mindful of the lost. Because if, if I don't stay mindful of it, it slips in me. And it slips in the staff of this church. And it slips in the ministry heads of this church. It really slips in everybody. We, we lose our soul winner's fire. That's what we, we lose that soul winner's fire. And it's the, uh, I think, the job, if you will, or, or the, uh, the calling of the preacher, I think, to catch something before it slips too far and, and becomes even pitiful. And, and, and it does come, become pitiful. But as we look ahead and we think of Missions Month, I, I say, Lord, please warm my heart towards souls again. I don't want to get calloused here. The unsaved don't know the peril they're in. They are one breath, they are one heartbeat away from hell, basically. Unless that sound dramatic, Jesus said in Matthew seven thirteen, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And notice the word many there be which go in thereat. Because straight, that means close is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. As you look at the adjectives that Christ used, many and few, notice the contrast there between those going to heaven and those going to hell. And when he speaks of hell, he, t- he talks about this broad, wide road that many are on. When he speaks of heaven, he mentions it's narrow and few there be that find it. And then if you were to read on in that particular chapter, he says, many will say unto me on that day, speaking of judgment day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name do many wonderful works. He says, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. He tells the lost their fate for all eternity, and it's the lake of fire at that time. Now, as you look at these passages, you stop and you say, okay, who's he talking to here? Is he talking to those in Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam? And No, he's not. He says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. So he's talking about those who thought they were Christian people. Now, is this just a handful of people? Uh-uh. He says, many will say to me in that day. Are we talking about the gangsters and the bootleggers and, and the, the Hitlers and the mafia? No. He says, many will say to me in that day, did we not prophesy in thy name? He's talking about preachers here. He's talking about the clergy. And in thy name do many wonderful works. These are people who are trying to do good works to get to heaven. And so the bottom line is, is everything okay? And the answer is no. It's very dire. It's very drastic. It's, it's very serious. Very serious here. People say, I'm okay, I'm no worse than the next guy, I'm not as bad as most people, I'm a good person, I believe in God, but Jesus says the road to hell is broad and wide and many are on it, the road to heaven is straight and narrow and few there be that find it. So apparently, everything's not okay. And we read in Revelation 20.15, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, could it be that Satan has deceived the multitudes? I think that's very apparent. I think it's very obvious. Yes, he's deceived the multitudes. The multitudes are saying, I'm okay, when really they're not. Not at all. We find in Proverbs 16.25, the Bible says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And there are going to be a multitude of people 
who go out into a Christless eternity thinking everything's okay. Some might be sitting here right now. But the end thereof are the ways of death. Imagine that. Thinking this is true. This is good. This is right. But the end thereof takes you out into hell. Because you follow, I guess, your heart. And the heart is deceitful above all things, the Bible says. You can't trust it. And so there are people that are spiritually comatose. But the big question is, as born-again Christians, I say we. What are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? Are we conscious of the lost? Jesus said, if therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? There are those who think they're in the light, but they're in the darkness. And he said, how great is that darkness? What will we do to reach those people? Again, this is a message for believers, and it's not a trivial matter, because eternity is a very, very long time. And that which is eternal is far more important than the World Series, more important than the latest movie, more important than the latest teen idol, more important than the economy, more important than the political arena, more important than anything, eternity is that important. And I think we as God's people need a a renewal, uh, we need a revival of seeking the lost, of really caring about lost people and reaching out to lost people. I think we have a ministry in this church, and in fact, Brother Dennis heads it up, called Reaching Out, the Reaching Out Ministry. That is, is probably the most important ministry in this church. So where do we start with reaching out? Where do we start? Well, first of all, we need an expectation. We need an expectation that God wants to save people and will save people if we just start talking to Him about Christ and preaching the gospel to every creature the way we're supposed to. Years ago, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, preacher in London, had a young preacher in the area come to him who was very discouraged. And the young preacher came to him and he said, Dr. Spurgeon, he said, I'm so discouraged. He said, you know, we preach week after week after week and, and uh, just see a handful saved here and there. And, and uh, Dr. Spurgeon said, well, he said, do you expect people to get saved every week? And the young preacher said, well, no, no, of course not. And the old preacher said, that's your problem. You should. That's faith. You should. Now, we as God's people should expect the lost to get saved. That's faith. Do we actually witness in hope, as the Bible defines hope, and faith that they will get saved? Do we live with a consciousness that they need to be saved? Do we expect God to save them? Also, where do we start? Well, we start with our own circle. Why aren't people getting saved? Because we're not reaching out to our own circle. We all know people that nobody else here knows. I'll guarantee you, you know people I don't know. Rick, you know people I don't know. Jeremy, you know people that I don't know. Steve, you know people that I don't know. Ryan, you know people that I'll never meet. And we could go up and down the rows here, be it Nick or Rob or John or Matthew. You all know people that I don't know, don't you? And I know people that you don't know. And we call that our our circle of influence. People in our circle. We see these people from time to time. We know these people from time to time. And some we know fairly well. And yet, we've never talked to them. We've never made that our objective to talk to them. And I say to us all today, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? You know, we can talk big about going over to Africa or Asia. and Boy, they're so open and and you can witness to everybody. Well, you can witness to everybody here. We don't need to go halfway around the world to talk to people about Christ. Now, it's great if you go, 
But there are people right here. God has placed them in your life. And we know we should be talking to them. But we haven't. And you know why? We've just never decided to. It really boils down to a decision to talk to that person about Christ. To witness to them, basically. But what we do is we, we excuse our personal responsibility. I do it, you do it. And we think, well, I'm part of a church. I come to church, and, and I give to the church, and the church is reaching out. I mean, there's that radio station, and there's that bus ministry, and you know, they're up on campus, and, and, uh, and, and, and we're corporately reaching out. There's the sermons, there's the faith for life, and we've got all these means. Man, we're reaching out. But are we reaching out personally? Because you are the church, and I am the church. And we cannot excuse our personal responsibility because, well, the church is doing it. It's so easy to do that. And, and maybe I, I fail to stress that enough. But it behooves us to be motivated and build a culture right here at Fargo Baptist Church of through the week reaching out and talking to people. You know, I've almost forgot our text here. Back to Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, or verse 15. He, that is Christ, said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, we have the world right here in the FM area, don't we? And, and we have some of those souls that Christ is making reference to right here. And He says, preach the gospel to every creature. It's just a, it's just a real simple uh, marching order that the Lord gave us before He left. You know that back in, in 1987, when the church just started here, um, I had time as a pastor to be out knocking doors every day. And I did, for the most part of the day. In fact, I would preach... Sunday morning, and I would go knock doors Sunday afternoon. I'd come back, and I'd preach Sunday night. And it was just a, a way of life. And, and I'll never forget it because it's the same amount of souls as weeks. That particular year, I, I took 52 people through the plan of salvation, and they made professions of faith. I'd like to tell you, I'd like to stand here and tell you they all got saved. I, 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 I'm not naive, naive enough to believe that. But I was very thorough with them. Not as thorough as we are now but very thorough with them. But the point is, I found one person a week that I could take through the plan of salvation in depth. But you know, I got busy. That happens. Church grows and there's more people and there's, there's other duties to do. And, and something just happens and it happens to everybody. That zeal just kind of wanes. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Whatever you're doing, your heart enlarges in that particular area. And, and when you get away from doing it, it shrinks, it shrivels. I remember the zeal some of you had as well. It encouraged me, it prodded me along. But you got busy like I did, and, and sidetracked like I did. As a church, we can, we can uh, get professional. It can become a business, it really can. We can get glossy-eyed spiritually and, and lose that fire. Look in Matthew 9 if you would. It happened to the disciples, I think, and man, they were walking alongside of Jesus Christ all the time. But I don't think they had the vision he had, and even in some cases lost it. I think of cases like John 4, where he's talking to the woman at the well, and he's trying to lead her to the, himself in this case, and man, they're more concerned about eating, and they come back, and Lord, we brought you food, and he said, that can wait, and, 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 and they talk about, well, you know, somebody bring somebody, you know, duh, they just were, their minds weren't functioning on that level. 
And here in, in uh, Matthew chapter 9, we see it again, and he's talking to him. In verse 36 of Matthew 9, it says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. They were lost, in other words. Then saith he, notice, unto his disciples. And he, uh, you can just hear him, Fellas, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. There's a song entitled, My House is Full, but My Fields are Empty. And it's, it's really a sad indictment upon a lot of New Testament churches. They have people in the pews, but the fields are white unto harvest, and, and the people aren't doing anything about it. And I think he's even subtly rebuking his disciples here about a lost vision. You know, we can talk about expanding as a church and, and building a new building over there and bringing people in and, and teaching them the truths of the Bible, but we need a whole church with a vision. We're never going to pass on to some, somebody something we don't have. By the way, that, that really goes for the staff of this church and the teachers in the Bible college. If you don't have that vision, don't spread it, okay? I mean, they don't need what you don't have or what I don't have. We need to have it to impart it to them. Because we don't need them to go halfway around the world and do nothing. Uh, we want to be soul winners and witnesses ourselves, don't we? In order to pass that along to them. Now, why do we need to stay mindful of the lost? Well, for several reasons. First of all, to fulfill the greatest commandment. And I'm not talking about the Great Commission here that we read a moment ago. But the greatest commandment. Look in Matthew 22. In case you've forgotten or I've forgotten what that is, notice here in Matthew 22, Christ tells a group that was really trying to trip them up. And he tells them off with this, really exposes their hypocrisy with, with really a, a simple statement here. In Matthew 22 and in verse 35, it says, Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second, notice, is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So part of this great commandment is to love God with everything you have, but also to love your neighbor the way you love yourself. Now stop and think about that. How can we say we love other people like we do ourselves when we would let them die lost? I mean, let's just connect the dots here. We really don't love them if we would let them die lost without telling them the gospel. And if we were the lost one outside of the walls here today, we would sure want somebody to tell us. But we're told to love our neighbors as, as ourselves, and it's, it's the greatest commandment. But if we really love people, we would talk to them about the Lord. So... Why do we need to stay mindful of the lost? Well, first of all, to fulfill the greatest commandment. But secondly, to fulfill the great commission. And we read that a moment ago. To go preach the gospel to every creature. Plain and simple. And if you read it over in Matthew 28, it, it adds to get them baptized and then disciple them. But in a nutshell, we've got to fulfill the first part in order to do the, 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 the second part and the third part. So the bottom line is to fulfill the great commission. And that happens one by one. You know, we can talk like, oh, they've got to reach the whole world. But it starts with one person. And if each one just reaches one, uh, we'll reach them. Now, why do we need to stay mindful of the lost? Well, thirdly, 
to be more like Jesus. And we read it a moment ago. Christ said it in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. It tells us here why He is come. And we could say, well, He did great miracles and He died on the cross and He rose from the dead. And Yeah, He did all that. But He tells us why He came and really why He did all that. He said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And we'll never be more like Christ than when we try and reach out like He would reach out and try and reach the lost like He did. You know, it's so easy to get caught up in, in other things, even in a church. It's easy to get caught up in uh, building projects. And boy, we've had our share of those over the years. I spent a good deal of this afternoon talking about things and, and, and sitting at the, the desk and, and, and designing the lighting layout for the gymnasium over there and trying to do all that other. I've been, I've been up since 4.30 today, and, have been, and it's a normal day, and just going all day long, and I got just barely ready in time to preach. Now, after church is over, we'll pray. I'll talk to a couple men. I'll talk to somebody else. I'll go back to my office. I'll get on the phone with somebody I need to talk to uh, to do the graphic work on the Faith for Life. There will be something after that. And there's just always something going on. It's so easy to get busy with all this budgets and administrative stuff and so on. And in the process, to neglect or forget people. And folks, the ministry is people. It's not this other stuff. It's people, plain and simple. But we can stray due to our daily schedule and business at hand and so on and so forth. And, and, and yet we need to keep witnessing to people front and center and reaching out to people in some way to, to, to be more like Jesus. Why do we need to stay mindful of the lost? Well, number four, to set the direction for the church body. Now, the Fargo Baptist Church is not just about you know, functioning. We're a church, and so we need to perform the jobs of a, of a church. No, we've got to have a destination. We, we have to have a direction set. And we don't exist for building projects, and, and we don't exist to, to meet here like we do all the time and just learn the Bible and so, so on. We're here to reach people for Christ by taking what we learn here outside of this place and trying to reach people for Christ there. Now, I wonder how many people over the years you and I have meaningfully engaged in the plan of salvation. We have meaningfully engaged in the uh, seven steps to God. We have meaningfully engaged in the gospel in some way. I wonder how many over the years we've really tried to do that too. It's not that there's less people out there, there's more. And it's not that people aren't responding anymore, they are. It's not that the gospel has lost its power, it hasn't. It's really in a nutshell that we aren't trying. It's us. It's us. Which really brings me to the thought, do we really expect God to do something through us? You know, when we talk about setting the direction for the church body, when, when the, the people of that church body are really reaching out, it, it brings an expectation to every service. And, and for God to do something. You know, you can sit here half asleep today, like you're here, you've done your duty, all right, I'm in church again, and so on and so forth. But I'd rather hear, you know, Pastor, I've got a Bible study going with somebody right now. It's a co-worker, and, and they're seeking, and would you pray for this person, that kind of thing. It just really sets the tone or the mood or the attitude for the whole church in a different direction when we're thinking along those lines. But anyway, why do we need to stay mindful of the lost? Well, fifthly, to streamline problems to streamline problems within a church. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. Show me somebody who is witnessing, and I'll show you somebody who's seldom a troublemaker in a church. 
It's an amazing thing. I've been at this a quarter of a century. And, and those who are witnessing are not the problem people. Uh, we don't think about that. But over the years, you know, I've seen church members who have gossip problems and uh, those who are glory grabbers, you know, uh, they, they want attention, they want credit. I, I've seen critics. I've definitely seen those who get offended and those who leave mad and so on and so forth. But I've never once seen somebody who is a zealous witness for Christ get offended and mad and leave. Never. Never. And I, I believe there's a connection here. The bottom line is, show me somebody who's getting their feelings hurt all the time, uh, somebody who is offended, and uh, somebody who uh, is even left the church. I'll show you somebody who stopped witnessing. Or somebody who never did. And that's a fact. It's the non-witnessing people that really have the attitude. It's the non-soul winners who are apt to be the gossips and the critics and the offended and the mad and whatever else. Because when we stop witnessing, we get very inward. I get inward. You get inward. And we start thinking about ourselves. You know, we can develop a, a, uh, what I call a spiritual welfare mentality where it becomes like serve me, you know? And it's about me kind of a thing. And we can take things for granted. We can become critical. We can become uh, demanding. And we can, we can get to where we're here to get instead of here to give. Because we're not witnessing, basically. And we become part of the problem instead of part of the solution here. But, but show me somebody who's witnessing and they're, they're on board and they're part of the team. They're less apt to backslide. In fact, they're less apt to yield to temptation. I know that I am, I am spiritually strongest in overcoming temptation when I am witnessing the way I ought to be. But if, if we backslide, if uh, we're not witnessing, we're going to yield or we're going to give in to temptation. We're going to watch things we shouldn't watch and do things we shouldn't do and be places we shouldn't be. And I'm convinced because I've seen it in my own life. You want to be victorious over temptation, get back to witnessing. It just it adds a whole dimension to the Christian life. Now, there's something else about it as far as streamlining our problems, and that is when we are witnessing, I believe God gives to us a wisdom that we wouldn't have otherwise. And I have Bible to prove that. Proverbs 30 verse, or 11, verse 30, says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Now, does that mean what it says? It's pretty simple. He that winneth souls is wise. The one who is witnessing, I believe God's going to give to them a discernment, a wisdom. Well, we need that too with the decisions we need to make because he that winneth souls is wise. Now, if I were to look at the Christian life and really divide it up into the three main areas, things that are important for a Christian to be faithful in, one would be our devotions, very important, a time with God every day, prayer, Bible, of course, the second one would be our alignment or our relationship with a New Testament church. I can't say enough about the importance of that. Uh, who knows where we'd be without that. So have your personal walk with God first, your alignment with the New Testament church. But if I were to uh, crown a third one, I think it would be witnessing. It's that important. It's an aspect of the Christian life that if, if, if we're missing it, we're like two-thirds of the Christian we ought to be. There is something missing in our lives. If we are not reaching out the way we ought to be, we become very stagnant. You know, some of you are going to, in the next week or so, 
uh, be standing at the Dead Sea and, and looking at, at probably one of the most famous bodies of water in the whole world. They call it the Dead Sea because it's so salty. I mean, nothing will grow there. And people, they, go from, uh, uh, they come from all around the world to, 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 to just bask in it. And, and, and you might even see some people, it's impossible to drown in it. I saw folks, you just, it's so buoyant, you just float on it. It's so salty. And people go there for the mineral value of the, uh, the water and they put, you might see them putting mud on themselves while they're there for the, the minerals that they can get in the mud around it and then they'll dive in and wash it off and so on and so forth. It's a stagnant lake. It's 1,300 feet below sea level. It's the lowest place on the face of the earth. Now it's fed from the Sea of Galilee up to the north there through the Jordan River and it runs down and it fills the, sea of Gal- or the uh, Dead Sea. But guess what? It has no outlet. And that's why it gets so stagnant. I grew up on a lake that was fed on one end and, and had an outlet on the other end, and it was continually moving. The Dead Sea takes in and takes in and takes in, but it doesn't give out. And I think God put it there as a picture of, of stagnant Christians who aren't giving out. They're just taking in through that Jordan River. Really, the, the Sea of Galilee is like a, a, a picture of salvation and, and that, and that uh, Jordan River is a picture of us learning in a New Testament church afterwards. But if we are like the Dead Sea, we're not going to be given out. We're going to become stagnant. In Revelation 3.16, Jesus said, So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Think about that. Becoming stagnant, so much so to the Lord that he goes, eh, I will spew you out of my mouth. That's really what can become of a Christian who stops giving out. Now, may we get motivated, may we get mobilized. I'm not saying that everybody is, is going to listen to us when we witness to them. In fact, most won't. I think we know that. And I think that coincides with what Christ said in Matthew 7. We know that. But you listened... You were one who was willing to, you know, hear the gospel. And don't you think there are others out there like you and like me? I think there are. I just think we need to start talking to folks. That's the bottom line. I I think we need to get to the place to where we're just staying mindful of the lost. Our text at the opening, Christ said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's, It's just really simple. Just take what you know to be truth from God's Word. And we have it in all kinds of forms in this church, be it tracts or Bible studies and seven steps to God, whatever it might be. But just find somebody that you can sit down with and they'll listen to you and you can give to them the Gospel. But we have to live uh, with a mindset like that, cognizant of the fact the lost are lost and apt to stay lost unless we do something about it to reach out to them. May God give us that vision again if we've lost it. May God give us that burden in our hearts. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.